Welcome to Messy Closet, the spiritual journey of Generation X. I'm Roseanne Carlo, and here we explore the 70s, 80s, and 90s in New York City and the lessons my friends and I may or may not have learned. It is Italian Heritage Month, and I have spent the month talking about Halloween movies and themes and everything we could think of, but I skipped over my own heritage, which is not for any reason other than I was really more excited about spooky season and Halloween. But I, of course, want to touch on everything. So as I said in my first podcast, of course, as a kid, I celebrated Columbus Day and I really haven't put much thought into it in the last few years, you know, just learning what we were learning. But I said it in my first episode, and I'll say it again, that I really feel that whether you want to call it Columbus Day, Italian Heritage Day, whatever it is, and Indigenous Peoples Day, I feel like they should really be separate. And it's for no other reason than I want to learn. Like, I want to learn more about Native American culture. I live on Native American land. I have found artifacts. So it's more that I want to know everything that I can. And I honestly would like people to know more about the Italian-American culture. I mean, I understand we have movies, you know, we have jokes, we have all of these things, but it's so much more than that. And, you know, all of this, it really, it's just my humble opinion. But in going with the Italian theme, Michelangelo, at the age of 88, said ancora imparo, which means I'm still learning. And I'm only 46. Now, here's how I grew up. My whole family speaks Italian. I'm not very good at it because it kind of just trickled off with me and my sister being the youngest two of the cousins of the family that immigrated here from Italy in the 1950s by boat and lived in Harlem. (laughs) My dad's first memory of being here was actually watching the filming of West Side Story. It was right in his neighborhood. So everybody moved to different places, Brooklyn, Bronx, Mount Vernon, which is where I grew up. My mother's family also came from Italy, Um, but during or before World War One and before World War Two. So as I had mentioned, my great grandfather, his name, James Caravetta, is on the World War One trophy in Hartley Park in Mount Vernon on Gramatson Avenue. And my grandfather and his brothers came from Italy in the late 30s when Mussolini rose to power. And I said this in my last podcast that one of the brothers who was 16 said he was 18 so that he could serve our country. So I grew up being patriotic American, but also holding tight to those Italian roots. Now, Mario Puzo gave us The Godfather and Francis Ford Coppola brought it to life on screen. And that is part of our culture. And that is part of our culture that we embrace and we talk seriously about it and we make fun of it. Like we would meet a boy and it always, you know, of course our parents were, they were so old fashioned because they're boomers, right? 
And they were like, no, 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 you got you to be with the Italian boys. You got to be with the, the Italian boys. And a few of us would, you know, sneak off here and there and date the non-Italians. We were like really the rebels. Like I dated the, the Irish and the, oh my God, how could she do this? But whenever I would meet an Italian, the way to ask if he was in the mafia or not was, what's his father's name? What does his father do? Where does he live? Do I know him? And they would try to piece these things together. But what it really was about was being really close with your family. So all of your cousins, your first cousins, so your parents, brothers and sisters, their children are literally more like your brothers and sisters, your first cousins. So there was always all of you all together. And there were weekly dinners at someone's house always on Sunday, but it was in the afternoon. It would start at like one or two o'clock because we all had to go to church first. And then if you had kids, the kids had to go to their CCD classes, which was the religious instructions classes. So we would have our mass, our religious instruction classes. We would go home, have a quick little snack so that we weren't too full for grandma's gravy. (laughs) We would call it gravy (laughs) because it had all the meat in it. But it was the Sunday sauce, but she would call it the gravy when she would cook all of the um, meatballs, sausage, and the brajol, which is flattened out pork stuffed with um, pignoli nuts, nuts, which are pine nuts, and what's it, what else is in it? Parsley and like salt, pepper, garlic. And you roll that up and you tie it with string and you put it in. That's what she would call the Sunday gravy, which really comes from ragu. Ragu means a meat sauce. So it kind of translated to that in my family. And we would call pasta macaroni on Sundays. So the pasta and the sauce was cooking, you know, The meatballs were made two ways, so some were rolled up and put raw into the sauce, and some were fried in oil in the cast iron skillet, and they would get like really crispy and burnt. So my grandmother would take them out of the the frying pan, she would put them onto the piece of, uh, what was it, like the paper towel, And I would take a fork and I would steal one of the boiling hot meatballs and then I would grab a hunk of bread and rip off a hunk of bread and dip that into the pot of sauce that was just like above boiling. And I would dip half of the bread into that sauce and take the meatball and I would just eat it separately. Like I wouldn't put it together like a sandwich. I would like take a bite of all, like it was just so weird, but it was my favorite thing to do. And we would make homemade pasta. We would make the gnocchi, we would make the cavatelli. She would make, what would my grandmother make? These cookies called tarals, which have like a lemon sauce uh, on top, like a lemon glaze. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just all of all of these different things. And especially around the holidays, it was 20 people or more. There was always a kid's table. And with any meal, so like, like here's how Thanksgiving would go. So Thanksgiving was you would, you know, get up and I don't know what you would do, watch the parade as kids, get yourself ready. And depending on where you were going, whoever was hosting was what time you had to be ready. So you would always hope that it was closest to home or even you were hosting yourself so you could take your time. So what would happen is all of this food prep. So most people just have like maybe some appetizers, right? We call it antipast. 
and that is literally an entire table filled with Italian meats and cheeses and breads and olives and everything that you could think of. Like those those memes are real because that came from someone's actual table. And then we would clear that and then we would put out some pasta. But this wasn't like pasta, like just, you know, a quick pasta. This was like baked ziti, stuffed shells, lasagna, manicotte, anything that you could think of that required a lot of time and patience and a lot of love. So that would come out and then we would bring out the salad and then we would bring out the turkey and the stuffing and the mashed potatoes and the sweet potatoes and the vegetables and everything else. And then we would bring out the dessert and the coffee and the sambuca and all of that. And the dessert was always apple pie, pumpkin pie, but also Italian pastries and cookies. So we were like seriously no joke with our holidays and just swap out the turkey for roast beef on Christmas and swap out both of those for ham on Easter. And that was pretty much your holiday. And then it was the same thing on a Sunday. A typical Sunday was the same type of food and that was once a week. And then, you know, there's just, everyone would, no, 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 people would not bring things. We did not really do like potluck. People might bring things if, if you had a party, but like the one person or whoever was in the house would do all the cooking and like all the cleaning because you were like the host and that was your your job that was like a source of pride was getting as many people around the table as possible to talk and like you know that that's like how we stayed close and I mean we used to drive hours and hours and hours to see each other just getting caught in traffic to drive from like Westchester New York Mount Vernon to, to Brooklyn or somewhere way way out in Jersey um yeah we would just drive and on holidays too we didn't care you know but we were much younger so now that we've gotten older it's more just cards and texts and you know kind of really thankful for the internet to be able to keep up and you know how it is nobody changes you know and when they say Italians are loud I mean yes we are but there's also a lot of us that kind of work at the same decibel so we end up getting a little louder than everyone kind of to be heard especially if you're me I was the tiny one I'm like still only five feet tall <laughs> but you know there's just something about like the way we were all raised with these specific traditions and these old wives tales and, and folklores and and superstitions so things like when you pass a cemetery, you make the sign of the cross three times. The bread in your house should not be upside down. That invites evil in. Do not have a bird in the house as a pet. If the bird dies, someone in the house will die. So there's a lot of these little idiosyncrasies that I still go by. Oh, also, if you spill the salt, you have to throw some over your left shoulder for good luck to ward off the malocchio. And the malocchio is the evil eye. And only somebody that knows the evil eye prayer and how to read if you have the evil eye can remove it from you. And you can only get the evil eye prayer on Christmas Eve for it to be effective and able to work. And that comes from the stregas. And the stregas are... 
the witches. And there's this great book that I used to love when I was a kid called Strega Nona, which means Grandma Witch. And it's just all about this little, this, you know, basically uh, these, these witches were just old ladies that knew like all the home remedies to fix all of your, all of your problems. <laughs> and I mean, I can see why people think the old Italian ladies look like witches because after their husbands died, they would go into mourning for the rest of their lives and wear nothing but black. So my paternal grandfather, Nonna Gina Luigia, she was also very tiny, even shorter than me, shorter than five feet. And she would wear a black kerchief around her head with glasses and she would wear a black dress all the way, like zipped up long sleeves, black stockings and slippers. And she pretended she didn't understand English, but she really understood a lot, but she only spoke Italian. And when I was 16 years old, my high school, Blessed Sacrament, St. Gabriel High School in New Rochelle, New York, they did this trip to, it was Italy and Switzerland with like, it was only a stopover in London. Like we really didn't get to see much except for like drive past a few things at night and I was too tired to see what it was. So when I got to Italy, I actually got a free day away from the tour with the school and my aunt and cousin that lived there, Zia Elvira and Pasqualino, they came to pick me up and I saw my Zia Mario and I saw my Nonna Gina and I saw the town and some relatives that I had never met and there's like a little school and the hospital and it was like the place where my father was born and I got to be on the streets where he was as like a little boy and it's a beautiful little town that's called Sarno and it's near Salerno, it's near Pompeii and you can see Mount Vesuvius from the apartment that they were in, I think that they're still in. Because people don't really move too much in Italy. They kind of stay where they are and all of the floors are beautiful marble and all of the food is exquisite and the fashion is amazing and it's just such a beautiful, beautiful place. The culture is rich. They make their own olive oils in all of the different regions, have something that they're famous for. So my family is more near the Amalfi Coast. So everything is like coral and lemons and by the sea with like these vibrant blues and yellows and in all of the artwork. And, you know, every region is, is different. This is the Campania region where we are from. And it's about two hours south of Rome. And each region of Italy also has its own food. So what we know as Italian food is not, like spaghetti and meatballs doesn't exist. And we didn't serve spaghetti and meatballs in the same dish. There was a bowl for spaghetti or whatever pasta. Then there was a separate bowl for the meatballs, but that had the sauce. And then the meatballs that did not have the sauce because like my sister and I didn't want them in the sauce. Kids didn't like it that way. So there was always like thinking ahead of who needed what. And then there was always, this is a gravy boat. Oh, that's probably called a gravy sometimes too. Because we would put extra sauce in a gravy boat for anybody who wanted extra sauce. And then of course there was the Parmesan cheese. And it's just... It was like the same foods, but you got excited for the same foods because that was your Sunday ritual. That is what you did. And that's how everyone stayed together. 
and then you know how it is and that's part of the spiritual journey is we start to grow older and you only see each other at weddings and funerals and then all of a sudden it becomes only funerals (laughs) and you know like I said Italian Heritage Month it's so very much more than mafia it's far beyond Christopher Columbus if you ask me You know, I mean, there's nothing in my life that I can equate to that man because he was from Genoa, Italy. He sailed for Spain, the country of Spain, out of Portugal, and that's it. His connection to Italy was being born and living there, but to get to Spain to get what he wanted. So... There's a book, it's called The Malice of Fortune, and Christopher Columbus is a character in there. And it takes place in the 1400s before he sailed. And there's a a word in there in Italian, it's called, it's a condottieri, and it means a mercenary general. And these are people who kind of did what they needed to do to get what they wanted in life, their riches, their fame, their fortune. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me that that was the mindset of Christopher Columbus. And here's the funny thing about Italy is there's proper Italian, conversational Italian, which you'll hear in Rome and the bigger cities. But there's also dialects, and that's what my family speaks, which is not at all what I'm good at speaking. It's just... It's it's Italian, but it's very different from conversational Italian because each region has its own dialect, which here we might call a regionalism or like an accent. Like there's certain things that that people say in the South that they don't say in the Northeast. There's certain things that people say in the Midwest that they don't say in California or the Southwest and so on. But Italy was not united back in the 14, 15, 16. It wasn't united until the late 1800s. So anybody that did anything from Italy was doing it for their region or for themselves. That's why we have Da Vinci and everyone's name was the region that they were from. So when Italy united in the 1800s and became one country because it was probably better economically or something, it really never went back to anything. No one said, okay, now we're all going to speak the same kind of Italian, they still speak their dialects, you know, they still do their regional things because that's just the way, you know, it it is. It's an extraordinary, beautiful country. And the things that our, my, my ancestors took from there to here also had to translate to American because not everything was available, all of the ingredients that they needed for everything. So instead of having, you know, different things, they they had to slim down. And then when you get to like restaurants, spaghetti and meatballs, isn't it easier to put it in one bowl? Sure. But we only put it in one bowl when we're about to eat it, when we've chosen like how much we want to take. So, you know, there's that. In every culture, there's good and there's bad. I would love to share more with you about, oh, you know what I would like to share? See, so here's one of the things that I do remember is we used to send each other care packages to and from Italy and all of my cousins, my sister and I would get this 
most beautiful jewelry, which I still have, bracelets, necklaces, earrings, rings of like the finest 18 karat gold. And we would live for these. Sometimes it would show up in the middle of the summer. Sometimes it would be for Christmas. I remember getting like from Italy, United Colors of Benetton perfume and sweaters. And I still have a sweater from Italy that was given to me, uh, two of them. And the fashion, everything made there, it's just so well made. Um, so yeah, that was that's like one of my other favorite memories. When I was previously married about 20 years ago, my aunt, uncle, and my cousin came from Italy. I actually changed my wedding from October, which I wanted to August because all of Europe is off in August on vacation. And my aunt in her suitcase took two huge silver, pounded silver pieces of artwork and they're matted on silk with glass and a beautiful wooden frame. One is still at my mother's house, but the other one is in my bathroom. It's a Madonna and child, and it's just a thin piece of silver that's been pounded over, I guess, a mold. And it's exquisite. And I also have four little pounded silver like wall hangings with the four seasons on them. And the way the Italians do things, it's it's so sleek. The back of it is leather, and it's got a tiny hole in it to fit through a nail so that you don't have to see too much but the art. So I've got lots of things like this. You know, it's always Italian Heritage Month for me because I'm always remembering something. I'm always finding some family recipes or the old cookbooks that we used to use to make everything. And, you know, as much as I love progress, I do love the memories, obviously, because I talk about it all the time. And I do love certain traditions. And I think that these are things that we should be kept al alive through our stories, through you know our food, through just sharing with everyone as much as we can. And you know, with that, I'm gonna thank you guys for listening to me speak about my heritage. And if you are interested in my DNA, it is 25% Middle Eastern and Turkish, and 74% Italian and Greek. So there you go. That is my mix. Thanks for listening to this episode of Messy Closet, and don't forget to keep art and keep love alive.